Are the actions that the church is taking right now making any difference in the social tension that is spreading across our country? I'll ask my friend Mike Palmer that very same question today. Mike is an African-American pastor and former police officer, and I'm interested to see what he has to say. This is Real with Reed, a safe and honest conversation about faith from different perspectives. And episode one begins right now. Hi, Mike, and uh, and thanks for coming on. This is episode one of Real with Reed. That's pretty cool, huh? It is cool. Episode one. Yeah. So, you know, if we do lousy, then that's all there'll be is one episode. <laughs> so uh, Mike Palmer is the campus pastor at our Eldersburg campus at Crossroads Community Church and has become a a really good friend of mine. And so I wanted to have him on as our first guest uh, for the podcast, and you'll see why in just a few minutes, as I feel like, uh, gosh, Mike has been sort of placed at, what's the the term, at a time for a time such as this, for yeah. such a time as this, and um, so I'm, I'm glad to be with you today, buddy. Yeah, I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me as your first guest. Yeah, so <laughs> describe to everyone, how did you end up at at Crossroads Community Church, because it's it's a rather uh, unlikely story. Right, it is. Um, but God was in it the whole way. I was, uh, at the time, I'd been pastoring 16 years, and I'd been, uh, I was pastoring my third church, and uh, I decided, uh, along with my wife and and, and some uh, guidance from my, my pastor at the time, who's passed along uh, since then, um, that it was best for me and my family to leave and it was the only time I'd left the church and, and I didn't have another church to go to. And so I mentioned to a friend, Monica Gicking, um, yeah. who uh, was a friend of yours at the time as well. And I didn't know that. Yeah. Uh, all I did was ask her for prayer. We were coming out of a, a meeting at the school and um, I just said, hey, Monica, just keep, you know, keep us in prayer. I'm going to be resigning from my church. And her response, I'll never forget it. She says, well, how would you like to pastor closer to home? Um, because I was still commuting from Owings Mills to, to D.C. at the time. Yeah, right. And um, she shares some, you know, a little bit with me about how Crossroads was starting the Eldersburg campus. And, um, of course, it was, you know, it was very attractive. But, um, again, you know, this was Monica just asking how I would feel about it. And, uh, you know, so I, I said, yeah, that'd be great. Um, but what was on my mind was how to leave the church I was at the right way. Mm-hmm. So, um you know, of course, uh, she reached out to you. Uh, and after a little while you reached out to me and, um, for a few months, you know, you invited me to a number of events, um, to just, uh, and, and you even said it, it was about, uh, crossroads, not just wanting me, but me and my family wanting crossroads. And so, for sure, yeah, time. yeah, we took some time to figure out if it was going to work and, and we loved it. We fell in love with crossroads and, uh, and so here we are. And and talk about the difference, right? Um, so the church that you were at immediately uh, before Crossroads and then um, for 10 years before that, you were in predominantly black churches. Right. And we are not a, I don't know what you'll call us eventually, but we're not a predominantly black church. Uh, that's for sure. And so talk about uh, how you thought about that transition even. What, um, did you, did you, did it cause you to pause and say, do I, do I want to do that? 
Oh yeah, of course it did. Um, because it wasn't just me. I had to make sure that it was right for my family and there would have been some pause probably anywhere, but yeah, coming from, um, my last church and well, all the churches were predominantly, predominantly black churches. Um, but in addition to that major difference between that church and Crossroads was also the difference um, in uh, that church was very traditional um, and very rules driven, where um, Crossroads is um, non, non-denominational uh, and very relational. And so, you know, one of the first things I heard you say at uh, an all leader launch in August of that, that year was that people were more important than programs. And I heard it, but as, you know, an experienced pastor, I said, okay, that sounds good, but I need to make sure that plays out. And as I spent more time with Crossroads, it did, it became very obvious. And I said to, to my wife, um, you were actually living that out. And, um, it was, it was just nice to see it actually play out. So, uh, yeah, there were some major differences and I'll tell you once, um, but it's, it's a good church. And so Jesus was being preached. Uh, people were very relational. Um, the biggest adjustment we had to make was in the music. You know, we were hearing songs that we hadn't heard before, or mm-hmm. we'd hear songs we heard, but they weren't, uh, played or sang like we would hear them in the black Baptist church. So <laughs> it was a little different, but it was a, uh, it was a good church though. That's a fun story. Uh, we'll get back to, uh, to how it's been, um, at, at Crossroads, but before becoming a pastor, uh, I think it's really interesting, Mike, that you uh, served in the military uh-huh. and you served in the police department uh, right. for a number of years. Just give us a little bit of that backstory of the service and and the police officer. Yeah, I um, so I joined the service on a on a day that will always be marked, uh, you know, in history because it was January twenty eighth, nineteen eighty six. Uh, that was the day, unfortunately, My birthday. we lost. Is that your birthday? Yeah, man. Oh, I thought that's what you were going to say. No, no, no. I didn't. (laughs) Look, I was talking about the uh, space. uh, I know the space shuttle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, (laughs) interestingly enough, I had just done everything that, you know, being from San Francisco, they came and got me in the, the, you know, early in the morning and went over to Oakland to the, what's called the MEP station where you do all your processing, paperwork, physical and all of that. And um, all I was waiting for was to be sworn in. And I'm sitting in front of this big screen TV and, um, and, and I watched that happen. And so I always wow. remember where I was uh, when that event took place. But yeah, I joined in 86 and uh, I was actually a military police officer. I was in the army, I was in Germany, Korea. Uh, and then I ended up on the East Coast. So that's how I got from the West Coast to the East Coast. I ended up in Virginia when I came from Korea. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I just stayed, you know, I was an MP and so, uh, because I was a military police officer, I um, was looking for a police department to join when I got out. And my plan, and this is where, let me let me say this, I, I, I wasn't saved at the time. So I had my plan and I didn't know uh, uh, the whole, your ways are not my ways. You know, <laughs> I didn't know any of that, but when I look back, it certainly yeah. applies. So my plan was to, you know, find a, a local department. I was in Northern Virginia. So that meant you know, Fairfax, um, Arlington, maybe even uh, uh, Metro. Um, so I was looking at those departments and um, uh, thought, you know, I'll stay on the East Coast for a few years. My grandparents were in Georgia, hadn't been able to spend a lot of time with them. So I was able to travel and see them. And then I'd head back home to the West Coast. And, uh, you know, that didn't happen. How many years ago was that? That was 92. Yeah. So here you are. Yeah. 
still on yep. the East Coast. Yep. But one of the turning points there, correct me if I'm wrong, was that you had an encounter with the Lord in the midst of after you became uh, an officer. And, and so talk about that. Talk about the beginning of your faith journey, which probably uh, for many people started long before yours did. Yeah. So I um, So let me go back to um, I was transitioning out of the army and I decided to go to a job fair. Uh, and again, I had my resumes ready, looking for the police, looking for the police departments. And I saw a booth and it was the nicest booth in the job fairs and um, Roanoke, Virginia. I never heard of Roanoke and I was not going because I was a big city person and I wanted a big <laughs> city department. And um, the guy reminded me of one of my uncles, called me over and we started talking, older black gentleman. And I gave him my resume and um, that's, you know, I ended up at the Roanoke City Police Department. And um, interestingly enough, some years later, you know, I um, ended up being baptized a couple months before my 30th birthday. I got involved in a church through one of my buddies who was a cop um, getting married at this, this particular church. His mother-in-law invited all of us to come back. I, um, as I say, I took the bait and, um, and ended up sitting with them. And I understood what uh, Pastor Keaton was saying. And, and it just made sense mm. to me. It was, you know, it was unlike anything I expected. I didn't expect to understand anything. Mm. Um, but he preached very simple sermons that were easy to understand, very challenging. And, um, you know, I ended up joining the church, got called in the ministry, uh, started going to seminary uh, at Virginia Union. And one day, and this is a really interesting story, my pastor was preaching in an afternoon service on the other side of Roanoke. So uh, I go over with him and we walk in together and he says, hey, come on back. Let me introduce you to the pastor. And we go in the back and the pastor is none, none other than the guy who was at the job fair oh, some years kidding. ago. Yeah, he was the human resources guy. I knew him as Mr. Beatty, but I didn't realize he was a pastor. Oh, that's and great. That's the guy who had gotten my attention at the job fair. And I still didn't realize it then, but now I know without a doubt, you know, that God was all over this thing. You know, he like, had you. Whoa, you didn't even know it yet. Yeah. Uh, yep. So, that's um, great. so yeah, that's how, that's how things kind of happen. And, you know, you look back and see God and, you know, he was all over it every yeah. step of the way. Yeah. And so you come to, to faith at um, a middle, not middle age, maybe uh, 33 or something like that. Is that uh, about right? Yeah, I was 30 years old when I came to Christ. Yeah. I was, yeah, a couple months before my 30th birthday. And and so uh, you begin this faith journey, um, but I'm assuming that immediately it was also connected with um, a bunch of uh, racial implications because you went to a predominantly black church at mm -hmm. that time. Right. And so in your mind, um, what was the connection between faith and race at that point? Oh, um, there was absolutely no disconnect. I mean, when you have, you know, there's a church, it's predominantly black church, um, uh, which is filled with people who are dealing with issues of race every day of their lives. And yeah. so, um, so certainly uh, when issues come up um, that are uh, happening outside the church, but maybe in the city or in the country, in the state, anywhere, yeah. uh, we 
there was an expectancy that we were going to hear about it, that if it wasn't the sermon, it would be some form of communication or conversation about, about that particular event, you know, uh, always, you know, encouraged to pray about it, but what kind of action can be taken as well. So yeah, there was, um, and, and it's not like it was an everyday thing. And what I mean by it is as a black person, you, you were dealing with, uh, racial issues. And so, Mm -hmm. Uh, there was no shying away from them in the church, not in the black church. How could you, right? Right. Exactly. It it was, it was a, a a part of your life. And if Jesus is supposed to transform all of your life, then it's all of your life. Right. That's right. And and that was a a big part of it. Um, at what did you come into the church? Um, what, what kind of, uh, of racial, um, either, uh, unity or division experiences from your time in the, in the military and your time uh, as a police officer. Um, what was your um, posture going into now this new walk of faith in terms of um, racial diversity or racial unity? Um, you mean when I first came to the Lord, when I first got into ministry, yeah. at what point? Yeah, and when you first uh, came to the Lord and you were still working as a police officer, um, talk talk about how race was a part of uh, your world at that point. Well, again, it was um, it was evident. I mean, it it, it was there, uh, not so much because I was a police officer or because I was in church. It was there because I was black because I'm a black man, and so you know there are things that you you deal with. Um, but when I got into the church, when I came, you know, gave my life to Christ, the dilemma I had was, you know, how do I handle it differently now as a Christian, as opposed to how I would have handled it before? Uh, not that, you know, I was doing anything bad, but is there something different, anything more, anything less I should be doing? And then, um, how much more responsibility, uh, Mm -hmm. is now, uh, on me or anybody as, as a child of God mm-hmm. to, um, to respond, to, um, help others through, uh, certain issues dealing with race. So yeah, it was, it, it became a big concern and, and it wasn't anything I talked about every day because there was nothing happening every single day, mm-hmm. but certainly when things happen, um, okay, now I have to respond, but how do I do that? You know, and set the right example for other Christians or non-Christians who yeah. are looking for a Christian to do the right thing. What a great! I mean, that that is a synopsis, isn't it, of a of a, a point that's so important to say when you said, "Okay, so now how should I approach this because of my faith?" Right. That that it's not that without faith you can't do anything that's good or, or anything like that. We're not or or right. We're not saying that, but we are saying that your faith should make a difference in every area of your life. And this one should be no different, that that it should make a big difference um, in your life. And so if you weren't keeping track um, uh, along the way here, you know, Mike has served as a police officer, has served uh, as a pastor in the black church. And in our world, uh, as we're filming this right now, uh, over the past three weeks, after the the death of of uh, George Floyd, um, it, it has come to the surface that uh, these issues are far from resolved in our world, and and so I ask you now, Mike, after years of ministry and after um, your perspective on this, 
Um, what's the response of the church as we um, talk about um, issues of race and justice and race and faith? What, what's, the, what's the role of the, that the church can play, should play, could play? Well, I um, so I've gotten questions like that about the church and one even like this morning about uh, the church's role, what the, what's the church going to do? And, you know, I gave that some thought. And one of the things I would love for people to encourage, you know, to encourage people to think about is this. When we talk about the church, um, we would love to be talking about one church. Um, mm-hmm. But we know we have white churches, we have black churches. And so um, when we think about it, you know, uh, the black church has been dealing with the things and responding to these things all the time. Most black churches anyway, I won't speak for everybody, mm-hmm. but typically the black church is going to speak into uh, some current events. And so the question, you know, might be, how does that play out for the white church? Because um, there's some actions that, you know, that the white church can take and get involved in and um, and help to change things and move things further along than they already are. And so, yeah, the church has a responsibility as 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 the church. Uh, but to be more specific, there is uh, a different responsibility on the white church than there is on the black church now, uh, or, or, and I, I don't know if I'll say different because praying and, and mm-hmm. there are some common things that, that we are responsible for, but outside church, when you leave the sanctuary, um, mm-hmm. you know, or the prayer meeting, what are you mm-hmm. doing as a white person to make life better for a black person? What kinds of changes are you encouraging or challenging others to make, um, uh, to, to help make things better for people like me? Yeah, um, and so that that boils it down in a in a really profound way to to say how do we as the as the church begin to step into to those roles? Where have you seen it done well, Mike? Or have you seen it done well? Have you seen uh, a place where you know when you were talking the uh, the verse that came to my mind was Jesus' prayer in John seventeen, right, where he says, "God, make them one." Mm-hmm. And, and um, I don't see a lot of oneness, but I, I, every now and then um, I get a glimpse of of some people who have figured that out, or, or at least are moving in the, in that direction, that look more unified than our culture. Because, but boy, that would be our our hope, right? Is that when the culture looks at the body of Christ, that we would be a, at least a little farther along in terms of unity on this issue than the culture is that, that we would lead the way in some way. <laughs> you would so, think so. Yeah, you would hope so. Well, I would pray so. And so, um, are we making any progress anywhere? Where have you, uh, is there any place that you would look and say, you know, we're, we are making in progress here. Um, well, I would say, um, as far as progress goes, um, I think, the, I think the, it, it's one of those for lack of a better term, the, the best is yet to come or not, because this, the current events we're in are really, mm. this is really the time uh, when we will see, um, because nobody can look past this. I don't know how people look past other, other things that have happened, but this one is so big um, mm. with George Floyd. And then it's actually um, opening people's eyes to other things that were happening leading up to that. And mm-hmm. so um, as a church, I think um, the answer to that question is, is, you know, maybe it hasn't been answered yet, but I, I just hope that we will even, you know, think about 
how far we've come and maybe, you know, instead of answering that, how far can we go in our current situation? And, um, I, and I thought about this too, Reed, I was, um, uh, because I got, uh, uh, an email from, uh, somebody and this was, and it was a really, it was a nice email. And, but several people have asked about the church, you mentioned it and you know, what is the church going to do? And, and sometimes the tone sounds like people are waiting for the church. And one of my responses was, um, you know, the church does have a responsibility. The church has a role to play. We, we are to do something as a church, but if you're waiting for your church, you're missing it because Mm -hmm. you don't need to wait for your church as an individual to get involved. And sometimes people will uh, use the church as an excuse not to act because Mm. the church didn't do anything. But if you are a member of the church, then you also have a personal responsibility or an individual responsibility to maybe encourage, even if it's just a small group. Um, But I would say that, you know, don't, you know, encourage your church. The church has a responsibility. I don't want to take that away. But at the same time, you don't have to wait for your church and please don't use the church as a, as a way out. Mm. That's really interesting. So, um, and I know you and I have have talked and and prayed about the response as leaders of our church, you know, what we would do. And the the point that you just made is there are multiple levels of of response, but it can't skip the individual level, right? Right. I mean, that's, it it doesn't get the, the church leadership or the body of Christ as a, as a whole off the hook. Mm-hmm. Um, far from it. But the, it also doesn't get the individual off the hook, and that's where it has to start, right? And, and with some introspection, you and I have talked about this idea of humbling yourself and, and understanding a little bit more of, of where I am individually, that if we all started to grow in that way in, in our um, understanding of ourselves and, and, and the concept of where am I um, missing it in terms of my attitudes and actions? Mm-hmm. Um, you don't have to wait for anybody to do that. That's a great, right. great point that I hope we we can get across to people. But there is a bigger, broader, maybe is a better term, um, church responsibility, right? That That you just began to talk about. So as a leader, you've been a leader in a predominantly black church and now you're a leader in a predominantly white church. Mm-hmm. Um, what's the picture that, that we need to present um, as a, as leaders of all churches uh, on a, on a broader scale here? What, what could you imagine God would do um, if we were able to move towards one another and not away from one another because of what's happening right now? Well, I'll tell you, you know, um, big picture. Um, I would love for, uh, us as, as a church, as leaders of any church, um, to, uh, to be courageous. Um, uh, because, you know, when we look at the Bible and we talk about, you know, Jesus, it, you know, Jesus made sacrifices, you know, he would, he, you know, he went places and he talked to people that others didn't think he should go or talk to. And, um, you know, one of the things, you know, I still watch quite a bit of sports center, even though there's not much going on right now. <laughs> and, uh, I heard, um, one of the guys, they were talking about everybody speaking out now and a lot of athletes. Yeah. And I heard one of the guys, um, he says something that stuck with me, Reed. He said, you know, I appreciate, it was like the white quarterbacks or who they were talking about. 
And he said, I appreciate these guys speaking out, appreciate their support. He said, but the only pushback he had was, where was the support when the sacrifice needed to be made? He said, you know, a lot of people are speaking out now that it's safe to speak out. And I say that to say, I want, I wish the church would not wait for the safe space to say Mm. anything. But when something happens, don't worry about who may or may not like it. Speak truth and and the gospel into that situation. Um, But sometimes, you know, and I say we as a church, and I'm not talking just about pastors either, but as a church, we kind of shy away and, and, and we may, you know, uh, we may do a little bit um, that kind of skirts the issue, but I wish we would just uh, just be courageous um, and 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 even risk the persecution that we are told we were going to feel if we're followers of Jesus anyway. Sure, uh, right. Uh, but don't wait for just don't wait for the safe space. You know, mm. uh, take uh, full uh, advantage of of the moment mm. and do what's right. Yeah. Well, gosh, what a great. Uh, charge for the church to not wait for the safe space. You imagine if Jesus waited for the safe oh, space, man. right? And, <laughs> and, and and I think that's just so compelling, Mike. Um, a couple more questions here. Sure. Uh, you know that I have um, I have a a particular interest in figuring out what actions make a difference and what actions don't make a difference. Uh, Because I feel like those two things are confused often when it comes to the issue of of race and justice in particular, Uh um, where people uh, who who may want to do something end up doing something that doesn't make any difference, and they check the box. And they think, there, I did something. And and where maybe it's more public or or more um, obvious and sometimes the things that make a difference aren't public and don't get seen. And it, it's um, either a, a commitment to prayer or a relationship that you're building or, or something like that. So when you say, um, be courageous, gosh, part of me thinks being courageous is doing the things that matter, even if nobody sees them. And um, so I, that's not a question. I should make it a question. <laughs> um, but but what have you? What do you think is helpful? If if people are listening right now and and they're thinking, oh gosh, I never even thought about it. Um, what would what could be helpful um, as a Christ follower in terms of actions that would actually make a difference? Um, I would say uh, first, um, take a breath. You know, just you know, and think about what it is um, you can do, uh, whether it's you know, physical ability or resources, mm-hmm. uh, because I think, um, you know, well, not think, but I know uh, oftentimes we uh, have these knee-jerk reactions and what ends up happening is we are just checking off the box. Um, and then uh, we think, like you said, um, that whatever the action is, it has to be a very public and a very visible action when there are phone calls to make, uh, some one-on-ones that can be had. And I, I talked to you about some one-on-ones and some group of conversations I had that a lot of people don't know about mm-hmm. uh, related to the George Floyd uh, 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 killing. And so, um, you know, I say take a breath, take a look at who you are and who you have around you, whether in your family and on your team or in your community, um, 
And then think about, okay, God, and pray about what is it that I can do or what is it that we can do? Because there's something specific um, that every one of us uh, can do to contribute Mm -hmm. to uh, causing change. And sometimes we're doing things that uh, are not necessarily within the purpose that God has given us. Um, and there's nothing wrong. I, I applaud people like that who want to get out there and do something. Of course. But, um, with our situation, even in you know something we're talking about doing, it was about just taking a minute, figuring out who we are, who I am, where I am, um, and then you know asking God what's best for uh, me and my purpose and my situation right now. Mm. Yep. You, two things that you that you said there maybe um, tuck underneath the the main point are, are important, I think, for everyone, me, starting with me, is that is as long as you think that the problem starts out there somewhere, we've missed the first step of introspection, right? And so sometimes the taking of the breath is to say, okay, let me come from a posture of humility and, and not a posture of um, superiority or something like that. And, and I just, I would implore people to, to start with a, an introspective look to say, we're all a work in progress, um, me especially. And, and if it doesn't start from there, um, more than likely, it will limit how far we can go or the impact that our actions will, will have. And, and the second one, Mike, I don't know if I've shared this with you before or not, but um, one of my pet peeves is um, when people see a, hear about a need, um, let's say any need, um, and they don't listen to uh, what will be, what's actually needed. They, they, they see something, maybe it's an under-resourced uh, family or it's a, a crisis situation um, like we're facing right now. And instead of stopping and listening to what actually could be helpful, we just do what we think would be helpful without ever listening to the, <laughs> you know, people say, well, no, no, that don't, don't do that. And, and I think that's just the reverse of, of the gospel, you know, because what the gospel is, is, is God did exactly what we needed at all of his cost, you know? And so the fact that I would listen and then do whatever is necessary at whatever cost to me. That's the gospel response. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, and, and so few people um, ever take that, that posture, the church included, um, that we'll just do stuff that makes us feel better about us. Yep. And yep. so I, I just wanted to, in your response, I was feeling both of those things. Like, A, start with me. But B, then listen. Mm-hmm. Listen before you act so that you make sure that your actions are actually helpful right. in some way. And, and let me say, let me go back. Cause I was listening to myself and, and thought it, it could sound like, you know, I want to make sure nobody misinterprets what I'm saying um, about taking a beat and, and, and just thinking about it. Sometimes, you know, thinking about it requires you to, to take some action at the same time. Mm-hmm. And so I don't want it to sound like I'm saying, Hey, don't go out, don't do anything. Um, just sit still. And some, some people need that. Some people don't, but it's, it's, you just have to evaluate yourself uh, in every single situation and 
you might be inclined to go, you know, right out and get something done because you know for sure this is what I need to do. Mm -hmm. uh, but there may be other times when you just need to sit back and just kind of check your stuff for a minute, you know, and we all have some stuff. So, um, you know, and just see how I'm feeling. I know, you know, with the George Floyd stuff, and I'll bring this into play just a little bit. Um, I think it's relevant. Um, you know, I was getting a lot of calls uh, and, you know, from people in the church and outside the church. But one of the things I had to do when I talked to you about shutting down one day, um, because I had to deal with my own stuff. You know, I was angry. I was sad, you know, and mm -hmm. here I am still trying to pastor people in the middle of that. And so I really had to shut down so that I can get Mike together. And I had to be selfish in that way and just kind of let everybody else wait for a minute um, because it's not just me, it's me and my family. And so, you know, that's, that's the beat sometimes I'm talking about as well. And just, you know, take care of yourself for a minute. Um, because for me not to do that could have taken me down uh, a path I didn't want to go, you know, mm -hmm. and, and a path God didn't want me to go down. Yeah. Wise. Words of wisdom right there. Uh, from Dr. Mike. <laughs> uh, wait, and you said people might uh, misunderstand what we're saying right now. That can never happen, right? <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, never. Okay, good. Never. I got a little worried. <laughs> hey, Mike, one of the things that I want to do in every Real with Reed podcast is allow uh, the folks who I'm interviewing to, um, to ask me a few questions. So let's turn it around for a second and, um, and you can ask me anything you want and, and I'll try to, to do as good as you've done and, and give me some helpful responses. Well, and I, I think I only have one unless it leads us somewhere else. Sure. Um, I was going to ask, so we talked about the church and, and race and, you know, responses. So um, being the pastor of a predominantly white church um, and, and I say predominantly white and, and, and I want to add who is a church that is um, uh, um, intentionally uh, making strides to become um, more multicultural uh, mm -hmm. and multi-relational. Um, how do you, or do you anticipate any, you know, how do, how do you anticipate the church will respond or do you think you'll run into any uh, issues? Because race is a very sensitive topic and you, it is a predominantly white church in a predominantly white county. For sure. Yeah. A great question. And, um, I'm sure that there are um, blind spots that I have in terms of, of leading through this will undoubtedly uncover some minds that I'll step on that, that I didn't know were there. I see a bunch of them already <laughs> that are, that are there. And, um, but, but it doesn't, but it doesn't um, dissuade me from wanting to lead through it. I, I, I do feel, and, and you know, I've told you this, that God brought you to our church for a time such as this, that, that there was a bigger picture involved when, when God brought you to our staff. And so I'm jazzed about leading. Um, I, think, I think leaders um, do get fired up when uh, the, the stakes go up. And, and so that, that's how I'm, I'm feeling. I have no doubt. Um, that we are going to make people um, angry, some people angry, some people happy, some people scared, some people, but that's kind of not the point, right? The, the point is to, to listen to where God's calling us to lead and then um, lead with courage, you know, yep. lead with, 
with all diligence so that we don't have a, um, a conservative or a liberal response, or we don't have a black or a white response, or we don't have uh, an upper class or a middle class response, that we have a Christ follower response, mm-hmm. you know? And to be able to model for people what that might look like, that it doesn't fit into any of the paradigms that they're used to hearing about when it comes to the issue of race and justice, um, that, that makes me excited. Uh, I've asked people to pray that we'll do it well um, as, as we start on this journey together. But, but I do think that uh, you know, the pattern uh, just can't keep being repeated. Well, I guess it can be. It has been repeated and there's big hoopla, and then there's um, life as normal. And right. I'm just hoping that, that that's the end of that cycle. And, and as best we can to be in it for the long haul, um, I want to lead with you and the rest of our staff um, in a way that, that really does lead into a new place. I appreciate that. So uh, that was all a, I had. That's a, that's a big task. It is. And, um, and I, we, I'm certain that there are other pastors who are thinking and praying the same thing, and we're going to try to link up with them Mm -hmm. um, as well. But um, for now, thanks, Mike. Thanks for sharing. Thanks for being real. You always are. And and we're going to hope that this conversation uh, really helps some people, and and we'll keep leading. Thanks, brother. Yeah, I appreciate it, man. Thanks for having me on as the number one guest, the first. Thanks. (laughs) Take care. All right, bye.